The following is a reenactment of an actual 911 call made by Asia Degree's father, Harold Degree. 911, what's your emergency? Yes, I'd like to report a child missing. From where? From my house. What's your address? Uh, 3404 Oakcrest Drive. Is this an apartment? Yeah. Which apartment? Uh, apartment 3406. Okay. Is she missing from 3404 or 3406? 3404, I mean... There's not an apartment number? It's... 34... Uh-uh. No, uh-uh. It's not like A or B? No, uh-uh. What's your name? Harold Degree. Your phone number, Harold? Harold proceeds to give his phone number. The next-door neighbor said she went down the road. Is she just seen a kid down the road? What's the child's name? Aisha Degree. What's her full name? Aisha Jaquilla Degree. Can you spell it for me, please? A-S-H-A-J-A-Q-U-A-I-L... J-A-what? I'm sorry, J-A-what? J-A-Q-U... I mean... J-A-Q-U-A-I-L-L-A. Degree? Yeah, yeah. How old is she? Uh, nine. White or black? Black. When did you last see her, Harold? Last time I went to bed, she was in bed. We got up this morning, called her to get up to go to school, and she wasn't in there. And her book bag's missing, and her pocketbook. So you don't know if she got dressed... Or if she still got her bed clothes or what? We don't know. Was the door open or anything? No. Uh, her brother sleeps in there with her, and when he uh, when he was in there, he didn't hear when she got up. Okay. All right, Harold. I will get an officer to get in touch with you just as soon as possible. If you do happen to locate her, please call us back and let us know, okay? Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. What happens when life is stranger than fiction? Or when the antagonist wins because we have no idea who they are? Or when the so-called perfect crime is committed and society is left dumbfounded and petrified? We spread the word, that's what. We talk, we discuss, we network. I'm your host, Michael, and you're listening to Strange and Unexplained. She is the type of child that would give you the shirt off her back. She never wanted anybody mad at her for anything. That's the voice of Aquila Degree, Aisha's mother, in an interview that was conducted by the FBI in February of 2020. She wanted everybody to be uh, her friend. She wanted to everybody to be happy. After 20 years, I still believe my daughter is alive. alive. Aisha Degree went missing on Valentine's Day, the year 2000, which also happened to be her parents' 12th anniversary, Harold and Aquila Degree. 
They married on Valentine's Day in 1988. And a year after that, they had a son named O'Brien. And then a year later, Aisha was born on August 5th, 1990. The Degrees raised both children at their house on Oak Crest Drive in a rural area north of Shelby, North Carolina, about 45 minutes west of Charlotte. They both worked regular jobs. I believe Harold worked at a, um, a local plant by the name of PPG. Actually, I'm actually from the North Carolina area myself, and I've had family members that, that actually worked at that plant as well. Not sure if they knew Harold. I haven't asked, but... It, you know, in a small town, when there's a case like this, everybody knows somebody who's connected, so it doesn't really do a lot to ask. <laughs> but Aisha and O'Brien were considered very responsible for their age. For instance, they would let themselves in after school, they were expected to do their homework and chores before their parents returned home. And there wasn't a lot of outside influence. Um, there was no computer in the home, for one. They, they didn't watch local news or read the newspaper, as far as I know, anything like that. The kids kind of, most of their influence came from their parents, from church, and then from school, obviously, but then also athletics, which I don't find that necessarily bad. Some, I think every time it's mentioned in articles... I feel like it's mentioned in a negative light. I feel like people are saying, oh, they were, they were very sheltered, and, you know, one thing led to another, and that's how this crime happened. And I don't think that's the case. And besides, these children were young. O'Brien only 10, and Aisha 9. At that age, you know, children, I think still, those are their main influences still. They're not hanging out with friends. They're not driving to the mall, you know. They're not going out to eat at that age. I think those are the typical influences. The only thing I think may have been a little bit odd was no computer. But I would say in, in 2000, I think we had a computer in the home. We may have had dial-up. So I don't really mark that as too strange of an occurrence for that time. Now, also, Aquila did an interview with Jet Magazine in 2013, and she talked about not only was Aisha very responsible for her age, very mature, but she was a, a shy child um, who was afraid of the dark and also afraid of dogs. So I, in the night she left, I mean, obviously it was dark. There's plenty of dogs in their neighborhood. And also it was storming that night. Not to jump ahead too much, but... You know, this just seems odd. I'm just trying to I'm trying to squash your Aisha just ran away dreams right off the bat because I don't think that is even a question here. I don't think she ran away. So Aisha was a fourth grader at Falston Elementary School. Falston is just a small town just north of Shelby. I don't I think they might have a population of like six hundred. If I'm I might be mistaken, but I think it's somewhere around there. But she was also a star point guard on her recreational basketball team. And the Saturday before she went missing, which would have been Saturday, February 12th, Aisha's team lost their first game of the season. And Aisha fouled out. She was she was upset, but, I mean, the report said that she was seen crying with her teammates. Her teammates were also crying. It was the first, you know, they were trying to go undefeated, from what I gather. And she fouled out, and they lost. So she kind of, bore a lot of that weight on her shoulders, but her brother, O'Brien, had a game later that same day, and by his game, parents said she seemed to be over it. 
And I think that's pretty typical, right? She finishes her game. Maybe some of her teammates stay after for their brother's game as well or their siblings' game. They're running around, going to the concession stand, playing under the bleachers, whatever they're doing as kids, and they forget about it, right? They bounce back. They realize life goes on. There's another game. Big deal. Everybody doesn't hate me now. All is well moving forward, right? So now it's Sunday, February 13th. Aisha and her brother, from what I gathered, must have spent the middle of their Sunday with friends from church or with family from church. Um, Because it says that they came back to church that Sunday evening with family members and then were brought home, brought back to their place at 8 p.m. that night. So I think that's pretty typical as well. When you go to church with people, whatever, you, you, you have friends at church, and if you have church in the morning and you have church in the evening on Sunday, it makes sense. You know, oh yeah, you can go spend the day, middle of the day with them or whatever and come back and pick you up at church. But I guess for some reason, maybe they, maybe her parents had to work that night. I do believe that Aisha's father worked third shift. Maybe he had to work that night and, or maybe her mother had to work as well. And so they just sent them to church with friends of the family or family for whatever reason. But later that night, after they get home, around 8, an hour later, around 9 o'clock, the power goes out. There's a car accident in the neighborhood. And that power is out until 12.30 a.m. Now at this time, when the power cuts back on, Aisha's father, Harold, who had been up all night, goes to check on the kids. Both the kids are asleep in their beds. They actually shared a room. They, had a two, they rent half of a two-bedroom duplex um, in North Shelby. So anyway... Harold checks on them at 12.30, then checks on them again at 2.30 a.m. and finds that Aisha and Bryant are still asleep. But what appears to be shortly afterwards, O'Brien claims that he heard Aisha moving in her bed because her bed had a squeak to it. He didn't investigate because he figured she was just changing positions in her sleep. And in all honesty, I mean, he was probably tired. We're talking wee hours of the morning here, probably... You know, between 3 and 4 a.m., most likely. But somewhere within this time window, Aisha got out of bed. She took a book bag that she or someone else had previously packed with several sets of clothes and personal items, and she left the house. Now, the next timestamp we have is between 3.45 and 4.15 a.m., when a truck driver and a motorist saw her walking south along Highway 18, wearing a long sleeve white t-shirt, white pants, and I believe white shoes as well. And this is just north of its junction with Highway 180. So she was on Highway 18, where it, almost where it joins with Highway 180. Now, there was a truck driver, and there was another motorist, so I'm guessing someone in a car. Now, one thing I found about this fellow in the car, he said that he turned his car around three times because he thought it was strange such a small child would be out by herself at that hour. So he circled three times. I don't really understand, but everywhere I looked, that is that was the story. He circled three times. You circled three times and you didn't stop. But he said he finally saw Asia run into the woods. Um, 
Yeah, probably because she thought you were stalking her, circling around three times like a freaking vulture, like either get out or don't. Now, it was stormy, though, right? It was stormy. It was raining, heavy winds, heavy rain, cold, most likely, February here in North Carolina. It gets very cold. And, I mean, seeing someone out on that stretch of 18 in that country road would just be strange in itself, much less in a storm, cold, at night. I just don't understand why you turn around three times, but you don't. But who knows? I'm not not in the shoes. No one ever knows what they'll do until they're in this situation. But he did claim there was a storm raging when he saw her. Now, in response to these two sightings, Cleveland County Sheriff Dan Crawford said, We're pretty sure it was her because the descriptions they gave are consistent with what we know she was wearing. And then he added that they both saw her at the same place, heading the same direction. So meanwhile, back at the back at the degree home, Aquila wakes up at about 5.45 a.m. She gets up at this time to get the kids ready for school. Power went out the night before, so they didn't have time for showers and whatnot. So she gets them up. She's going to get them up at 5.45. It's Valentine's Day. It's her and Harold's 12-year anniversary. It's going to be a great day, right? But then she goes into the children's room, and only O'Brien is there. Aquila fr- frantically searches the house. She calls for Asia. She quickly calls Harold's mother, who lives across the street. Sometimes Asia would go over there. Not typically without asking. That still was very out of character for her. Um, like Aquila said, she would never leave the house. Um, but in this case, it's hard to argue that she didn't leave the house on her own free will. But we'll get there. But she called Harold's mother, who lived across the street. And she also claimed Asia was not there. Surprise, right? So that's when I went into panic mode said Aquila. She said she heard a car door next door, runs outside, asks her neighbors. She then called her own mother, who, with great advice, told her to call the police. (laughs) So, I mean, that sounds frantic, but I think when you're in that situation as a parent, I don't think the first thing you're thinking is, my child has been kidnapped or my child has run away. I think you think, there's some miscon there's some there's some misconnection here between me and them and they forgot to tell me they went somewhere it's just like it's always anything but they're gone right so i i feel like people catch a lot of criticism and in this case where we don't know what happens the family and the parents catch a lot of criticism in general and little things like this get picked apart why didn't you call the police right away? Why'd you take your time? Why did it take your mother to tell you to call? Because she didn't want to swallow the fact that her child was missing. That's why. So anyways, she's in panic mode. At 6.40 a.m., the first police officers arrive. Police dogs were called onto the scene, but they're pretty much useless because it is a storm just passed. I mean, heavy winds, downpour, scents are everywhere, scents are dampened. They're wet. They're blown all over the fields and woods. I'm sorry. But I was genuinely upset about that because it just it baffles me that these scent dogs couldn't get anything being at the home, starting at the home, in an obvious case where she was either taken from the home or she left the home directly on foot and the scent couldn't be tracked. That was... That was very frustrating. It wasn't long at all before friends and family and people all over the neighborhood started joining in. 
They canceled their plans, which I feel like any decent person would. The pastor of the church, along with other clergymen, came to the decree's home um, to support them, to console them, and, you know, offer up their, their prayers. But uh, all this search, all these people, only thing it was found was a mitten. And um, Aquila degree confirmed that it was not Aceus and that no winter clothing had been taken from the house, which is very surprising to me. Very surprising to me. And she wasn't even wearing a jacket in February. That's strange. That, to me, insists that when she was leaving, she knew she wasn't going to be spending much time in the cold. I, I just, I don't, I think she would have enough sense that if she was going to be walking a long distance, she would have packed a coat or some sort of winter clothes. But there were no winter clothes missing. Now on the following day, February 15th, some candy wrappers were found in a shed at a nearby business along the highway near where Asia had been seen running into the woods. Along with those candy wrappers were a pencil, a marker, and a Mickey Mouse-shaped hair bow that were identified as Asia's. Now, these items were found in a shed, like a, uh, a shack, per se, um, out beside a business. I'm trying to remember where was the business, Michael. I mean, this is something that you should have already had prepared. I know. I know. I'm working on it. Turner's Upholstery. Turner's Upholstery business. Okay, that is where the shed, I don't know if it was a lean-to or what, but she kind of hung out in there for a minute. For whatever reason, I'm very interested to, to figure out what that's about, right? Now, if you're listening and following along, you're probably curious about the distance between Aisha's home and this shed at Turner's Upholstery, right? Well, it is one mile. One mile. They estimate a two-minute car ride. Could have easily walked there. And walking one mile, maybe you don't bring your winter clothes if you're promised. Maybe you're going to, you know, a, a sunny place. Maybe they promised they would take her to Florida or California. Who knows, right? But despite of the 9,000 man hours invested in this search, the two to three mile radius that had been, that had been stretched, flyers posted all over the area, 300 leads ranging from possible sightings to tips about abandoned houses and wells where Asia might have ended up, the search was finally called off. And we, it, the sheriff was quoted as saying, we have never really had that first good substantial lead. And he urged the media to keep the story alive. So other than the pencil, the marker, the Mickey Mouse-shaped hair bow, nothing else was found. The only three things found that are confirmed to be Aisha's. And for a long time, that's all that happened. The trail went cold until August 3rd, 2001. This is, now, this is after a few things happened here. The media attention, attention went national. That, that happened about a month after Aisha's disappearance. The Degree family went on to Montel Williams' show, um, and then they got put on America's Most Wanted. It's, it's this whole thing. We'll talk about that later, okay? But on August 3rd, 2001, Aisha's book bag, along with other, other items, were dug up during a construction project off of Highway 18. 
near Morganton. Now, this is about 26 miles north of Shelby. So she lived almost on the Shelby-Faustin line. So this is about 26 miles from her house, give or take. Now, this book bag, what I find interesting, it was wrapped in a plastic bag. Not one. It was wrapped in two, actually. Two trash, plastic trash bags. That itself is very odd to me. It was discovered a year later, wrapped in plastic bags, to be, what, preserved? If you're trying to get rid of evidence, wouldn't it be better if you just throw it in the ground and let it deteriorate? Let the moisture, let the bugs get to it, whatever it is. The, the water, the dirt, the soil, let it erode, let it destroy. Why preserve it in backpacks? Somebody wanted this book bag to be found, right? So the FBI took it to their headquarters for further forensic analysis. And the book bag contained, well, the reason they knew it was her book bag right away, let me back up just a second, because Aisha's name and phone number were on it, okay? So first off, that, they could have wrote that on any book bag, but I'm pretty sure Aquila did confirm that it was her book bag. Now, the contents inside, however, did not bear, in, bear any relevance to Asia, according to her parents. There was a copy of Dr. Seuss's Miguel Gott's Pool, and then there was a t-shirt depicting the band New Kids on the Block. <laughs> new Kids on the New Kids on the Block, got a lot of hits, Chinese food makes me sick, or something like that. Right? New Kids on the Block. I don't think... <sighs> I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but I don't think Aisha was jamming new kids on the block. Plus, there was, I mean, not a lot of people weren't. There was a lot of other things to be jamming. You know what I'm saying? But what is up with this shirt and this book, right? Which were obviously placed in the bag. What's the point? Is it like some kind of clue? Are they playing some kind of game? I don't know. Um, you can get lost in the forums. I haven't really found anything related to the to those two things. Good enough that I thought I could bring you. I don't. I, I do have a couple theories that I am going to bring you at the end of the show that I think do bear a little bit of weight, and I'm excited about that, but we will get there. But right now, this book bag, right? So the FBI took it to their headquarters for further forensic analysis, and results from that testing were never shared publicly. Other than what the book was and what the shirt was, pictures of both, and then... The question was then asked, do you know anything about these things to the public? Do you know anyone who owned them? Whatever. The book appeal appeared to be checked out of the Faustin Elementary Library, I'm pretty sure. So, I don't know. I don't know if they, they didn't keep up with it very good. You didn't have to write your name on the little card at their school like we had to. In elementary school, you know, you had the little card in the back that was in a sleeve. Pull that card out. You better write your freaking name on there and the date you check it out and then we put it back in. You put your date on the other side, right? Apparently they didn't do that or somebody took the card out, which is very, very viable also. <clears throat> but anyways, that is the extent of the evidence. And things kind of were quiet for a while. Real quiet. Until 2013 when apparently uh, Jet Magazine got a hold of this case, and wanted to interview Aquila. And so they did that. And it was very, it's a very insightful interview. It's a, it was a great opportunity for Aquila to speak. I'll read you a few questions and answers from that interview. So Jet asks, 
What are your overall impressions of the media coverage Aisha's case has received so far? Aquila, only local. A lot of family members and I went to the Montel Williams show. They aired the show exactly one month after she was missing, March 14th. That was the most coverage we got on a national level. A month later, she was featured on America's Most Wanted, and no one did an interview with us. Oprah showed her picture and the info from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And every month, we get a letter from the NCMEC telling us who they sent her information to, end quote. So people are still sending Aisha's information around. The case is still being, um, I guess, circulated. But for the most part, it's been over 20 years, and it's, kind of, it's, it's very cold. It's very much a cold case. All right, here's the second question. Jet asked her, Do you perceive a difference in the coverage given in the media to cases of missing children based on race? And Aquila answered, quote, The white ladies are on every channel. We are on local channels. The only reason the Montel Williams show knew anything is that the coach's sister, um, she's, she's talking about Aisha's coach, I guess Aisha's basketball coach, his sister went online and she reached out to all of them, but only Montel Williams responded. Once the local channels found out we were going to the Montel Williams show, one of them flew up. And they flew a reporter up too. Then we did the interview with that local channel. Missing white children get more attention. I don't understand why. I don't try to speculate. I know if you ask them, they will say it's not racial. Oh, really? I'm not going to argue because I have common sense. End quote. So I believe that statement speaks for itself. Um, you can believe what you want, but it is strange that they had to go on a national level like Montel Williams' show just to be on their local news, which being on their local news at an earlier date could have been huge in this case. Nobody knows. But in February 2015, the FBI announced that they were re-examining the case and re-interviewing witnesses. They also announced a reward up to 25 grand for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance. A community group is offering an additional 20000 reward. So that totals $45,000 reward, and that is still on a billboard on Highway 18 in Shelby today. That, that reward still stands at $45,000 if you have information that leads to an arrest. And the FBI announced 15 months later in May of 2016 that their investigation of the case had turned up a possible new lead. They disclosed that Aisha may have been seen getting into a dark green early 1970s Lincoln Continental Mark IV, or possibly a Ford Thunderbird, or possibly a Buick. There was I've seen uh, I added that, but in a lot of forums I read this theory of a gentleman who lived in the neighborhood where the book bag was found, and he drove a green Buick. Okay, which looked very similar to the Lincoln Continental Mark IV and the Ford Thunderbird, could have easily been confused. But I believe there was not sufficient evidence, or he was ruled out for other reasons. But I have another suspect. But anyways, let's talk about the theories, right? So there's basically three that you that people throw around with this case. 
you search forums, you search aceddegree.com, or whatever it is, you're going to find a lot about these three theories. Theory number one, Asia is a runaway. Despite seeming to have a loving, supporting home with loving parents, maybe something just wasn't right. And amidst running away, she fell into the sights of a predator or was accidentally struck by a passing car and then was disposed of. I don't believe any of that. I do not think she was hit by a car. I do not think she ran away on her on her own free will, of her own free will. I do not think she did. I think maybe she had been coaxed. But <clears throat> anyways, theory number two, the family is in on it. This suggests an even darker plot about the home life, which I find to be honestly ridiculous. I Also, although I do not rule out the possibility that it could have been someone that the family trusted, or maybe someone the family even considers family. I don't know. Um, I'm not ruling out that possibility, but I do not think it was anyone in her immediate family. I do not point the finger at the mother, and I do not point the finger at the father um, in any way. Not saying it's impossible, I just do not get that vibe from this family, from the interviews that they share, from the the uh, the love and support that they have shown for their daughter and her case, and the consistency too over the years. And we'll touch more on that later, what their family is still doing. But that was number two. Number three, my favorite, the groomer, right? The theory which I think is most likely true. Someone close to Asia was grooming her over time for this event, supplying her with clothes, candy, directions on how to meet people, or possibly even empty promises. Maybe like they were going to... Uh, help her do something special for her parents on Valentine's Day, which also happened to be their anniversary. Or, you know, maybe that's why you couldn't tell your parents. You know, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But it just, for her not to inform her parents of this is just, it just blows my mind with with no, uh, you know, no no turmoil spoken of. Now, here is one thing that I find interesting. The day she disappears, right, she spends most of the day at someone else's house. Someone in the church, whom which I could not find. Um, I could not locate who that person was. <clears throat> I really wish I was able to, but she spent that day at their house. Not saying that that person in particular is, is someone to be looked at or someone that's guilty, but maybe someone that came to their house or maybe someone she was influenced by that day, someone she was around... Because we all know, I'm a parent, and I know that when I send one of my children over to someone else's house, whether it's a friend's house, cousin's house, a grandparent's house, when they come back that next day, they're a little bit different, right? They're a little bit different because they've rubbed off, somebody over there has, has rubbed off on them. You see little influences, little habits that they picked up within a day. Now, if someone had the opportunity to talk to Asia. Um, during that day, which is a very large window, that person could have influenced her, right? So someone someone who groomed her, right? Now, a lot of people think this took place over days, this planning, um, but we'll talk about it. But not only do I believe this third theory to be the case, 
I have also stumbled upon a very interesting subject, which I cannot take full credit for. I will give credit where it's due. Um, and it was posted by screen name uh, Molen Label on Reddit. And it's on the Asia Degree Reddit. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at Asia Degree on Reddit, you're going to find this post and many other things by this author because they are a Shelby native. Um, so they, they live in the area. They know the area. They have had the opportunity to talk to some people. And they, it's, they just seem very educated in this source. And they also have facts to back it up, which is pretty interesting. So I'm kind of paraf- paraphrasing from her, from her post here. But she goes, or he or she goes on to say, let me introduce you to Curtis T. Montgomery. So Curtis was living in Waco, North Carolina in 2000, which is like four miles from Asia Degree's house. Not very far at all. Right when you leave Shelby, Shelby is kind of like the, the last big city for a little bit, heading west of Charlotte. Heading west of Charlotte, you have Gaston County, and then you have Cleveland County, and Shelby is the biggest city in Cleveland County. And then it's just a bunch of little cities broke up. So there's, don't let all these different towns and names confuse you. They're all right there in Cleveland County. They're all very close to each other. They're a stone's throw away. So he lives in Waco, right? He was 19 years old at the time of Aisha's disappearance. So to me, that's kind of the perfect age. You're not old enough to be, I guess, threatening to a child, but you are old enough to carry out such a plan and complete it. Now, um, not only did Curtis attend Asia's church, which was Macedonia ba- uh, Missionary Baptist Church in Kingstown, but that his uncle or brother, um, I'm not sure the exact relationship and neither was Malin Label, uh, was the pastor of the church. So not only did Curtis attend the same church. He was also a family friend of the Degrees. And some Facebook stalkers have proven that Montgomery's family and the Degree family all know each other and were and seem close. Not sure if he was at church the morning that Aisha went missing. And I'm also not sure if Aisha didn't go to his home. Maybe he maybe she went home with the pastor and his wife. And then that's, and their son being Curtis. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally speculating here. Don't, don't stone me. Don't hold me to any of this. I'm just presenting facts with a little bit of um, educated speculation. All right? Now, you still may be saying to yourself, these are bold charges to bring upon an innocent man. But I'm not quite done. On May 4th, 2002, now this is just two, after, two years after Aisha went missing, Curtis was arrested for two counts of kidnapping against a minor and indecent liberties with a minor. The victims were 11 and 12. Now, this is public information. This is in the NC sex registry. Okay, so all that, all that can be checked out. Now, I'm not saying that Curtis did it. He's just a person of interest, and I'm surprised that the police have not looked into him. Um, from what I was told, when his name was brought up to the local police department... Um, they said that there was insufficient evidence. There was nothing at all to tie Curtis to the uh, to the crime whatsoever. So it's basically it would be like harassment, I guess, from what I'm gathering. But this is this is some here's some interesting information. Let's let's make a little roadmap for you to get to the church. 
Aisha attended, you would need to travel down a road called Zion Church Road. This road leads almost directly to the church's front door, okay, which is just south of Turner's upholstery, which is the shed she was hiding under. The shed was at Turner's upholstery. I don't think that's too much of a coincidence. She was walking down 18 in the direction she would have drove many times with her parents to get to church. Maybe Curtis or somebody else from church told her to meet them at the corner of Zion Church Road and Highway 18. She was so close to this intersection. She could have actually got there from the Turner's upholstery shed by not even walking um, not even walking on the road. She could have cut through a field or through woods to get there. So what, what does that mean, Michael? I'll tell you what it means. Remember back earlier when I said that that motorist who circled three times saw her running into the woods? Hmm, maybe she just left the shack, eating her candy bars, dropping them there, ran through the woods. Hmm, doesn't seem so insignificant now, does it? <laughs> All right, well, let's cut the shit with the what-ifs, and let's recap on what we do know about this case. So the only concrete evidence, aside from where the candy wrappers were found, um, is the book bag, the buried book bag that contained the, that contained the Dr. Seuss book and the New Kids on the Block t-shirt, uh, which seemed to be planted evidence, in my opinion, and aren't really that beneficial. Now, we also have the eyewitness stating that she got into the green car, right? Some type of green sedan. Uh, what, what were the freaking models? A Ford Thunderbird or a Lincoln Continental Mark IV, okay? One of those, green. Or maybe I'll be a wick, but we're not going to bring that guy up again. But, and there's also a $45,000 reward for anyone with information that leads to an arrest, now, this billboard, like I mentioned earlier, it still sits on Highway 18, and it's actually refreshed um, occasionally. It's, it's actually kept up. And now, uh, this year, on the 20th anniversary, they added an age-progressed photo. Uh, progressed. Progressed. Sorry. An age-progressed photo of Asia, depicting what she would look like at 30 years old. And it's pretty good. I think it's, it's pretty accurate. The technology that we have now is amazing. And... Um, it helps, it helps for people keeping an eye out. And if you do have any information concerning the case of Asia Degree, please contact FBI Charlotte at 704-672-6100. That's 704-672-6100 or your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. She's had a halfway decent life anyway, even though we didn't get the razor. She was nine years old, and now she'll be 30 this year. So we missed everything. But I don't care if she walked in the door right now. It, I wouldn't care what I miss. All I want to do is see her. So you may be wondering, what is the Degree family up to now? Um, what is Aquila and Harold doing, right? Well, they keep fighting the fight. Every year they have a walk. You know what? Let me just let Aquila talk to you about it. You're listening to Aquila Degree, 
and some friends and family getting ready to go on their annual walk for the remembrance of Aisha Degree. The reporter asks Aquila to elaborate on the event they're having. So tell us what's going on here today. Um, it's the 18th year that we, the well, 17th year we've done the prayer walk. We do this every year. <laughs> we do this every year to uh, keep her name out and to uh, keep people remembering the day. We used to do it on Valentine's Day or the week before, but this year we fell on the side. The reporter then asks her, what keeps her going? What keeps her motivated to find her daughter? Well, I have faith in God and the fact that I believe my daughter is still alive, so I'm not going to give up, even if everybody else gives up. Me and my husband and my son is not going to give up until we have closure, because we still think she's alive. You know, some people think she's dead, but it's fine. I have no problem with that. Think what you want to. But I'm going to think, and what I feel like, I don't feel it. Honestly, God, I don't feel it in my heart that she's dead, so that keeps me going. He then asks about their future plans. Well, I, just to keep, to figure out different ways to keep her name out, and just to keep going until we have closure. We're not giving up. You, you say that you think she's still out there. Do you have a message for her? That we still love you. We don't understand why you left, but that's no problem. We don't care about that. We want you to come home. We just want you to know that we're doing everything possible to help bring you home. Aquila also had a message for everyone else as well. If anybody out there knows anything, who thinks they know anything, call the FBI, call the police department. Just let them do their job. Oh, that's about us. If it's, even if you suspect me, that's fine. I have nothing to do with it. I have nothing to hide. Let them in. They have investigated me for the last 18 years. So anybody, I don't care if they relate to us, not related to us. If you think you know something, call them. Let them do their job. Well, there you go, folks. You heard it straight from Mama Bear herself. This has been the case of Shelby Sweetheart, Asia Degree. Again, if you have any information regarding the case, please contact your local authorities or local FBI affiliate. Let them do their jobs, like she said. And on another note, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoyed this information, if you got into this story, if you went down a wormhole because of this, I'm glad. I'm glad. (laughs) And if you enjoyed Strange and Unexplained, please leave a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, however you review, or you can drop me a line on social media. Speaking of social media, we are on all of the platforms that matter at S&U Podcast. Sandu Podcast. S-A-N-D-U Podcast. Okay? That's at Twitter, Instagram, and you can just search Strange and Unexplained on Facebook. And if you want to dive a little deeper into the strange and the unexplained, check out patreon.com slash podcast for more exclusive content. And remember, be strange, just don't be a stranger.